Hey there, welcome to the Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD podcast episode number 159. If you are looking for ways to live a naturally healthy life, you are in the right place. My name is Dr. Delane Vaughn. I'm a board certified family practice doctor and the host of this podcast. So today we are going to talk about sleep and blood sugars. The podcast last week talked about stress and blood sugars and how you have to get that stress under wraps to really optimize your health. And that's what we're going to talk about today about how we have to get sleep under wraps and under control to really optimize our health and our blood sugars. Before we get started, I do want to touch base. There is going to be a webinar August 29th. That's a Monday at 10.30 a.m. Central Time. So that's 11.30 Eastern Time, 9.30 a.m. Mountain Time, 8.30 a.m. Pacific Time. And if you're outside of those time zones, you're going to need to go to the web and find a time zone converter to figure out what that is for you. But this is going to be a webinar that talks about the foundational strategies that I teach my clients to reverse type 2 diabetes. It will be interactive. Bring all your questions. Bring the things that you've tried. If you've got food logs, I want to talk about them. Bring all of the things to this webinar. It will be held that Monday morning and this is to help you have access to the information that you need to reverse your type 2 diabetes because what the medical industry in this country is not telling you is that you don't have to be diabetic. You don't have to be sick with many of our chronic illnesses. The human body wants to default to wellness and if we get out of its way, it will do that. And the strategies I teach are the ways to get out of the way of ourselves and let our body default back to health. If that's something you're interested in, please come to this seminar. It's free. You can sign up at my website, DelaneMD.com, or you can email me, Delane at DelaneMD.com, or you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at DelaneMD. You can send me a message. I will message you back. So today we are going to talk about sleep and our blood sugars. So many of you have heard me say this, if this is your first time to the podcast, and maybe you haven't heard me say this, if you've listened to a number of the podcasts, you've probably come across me saying this, we are the only animal on all of the planet that does not live in alignment with the laws of nature that the planet sets out for us. And what do I mean by that? We are the only animal that looks to human beings to create our food for us versus looking to the earth to create our food for us. Squirrels are not complaining about acorns and asking for pizza at night. Deer doesn't get bored with grass and ask for Chinese food. We are the animal that looks at the food of the earth, the lettuce, the tomatoes, the cucumbers, and we're like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to eat Red Bulls and Doritos. And then we cannot figure out why we're sick. Here is the deal. We're also the only animal relying on an alarm clock. We are the only animal on all of the planet that are shorting ourselves on the required sleep. So what I teach my clients is how to live in alignment with the laws of biology as far as their diabetes and their insulin levels go, right? So what does that mean for our food? That means that the human being never in nature comes across a Pop-Tart or comes across bread or comes across ice cream in nature. The human being never in nature comes across a cliff bar. The human being never in nature comes across a kind bar. These are not natural foods and they are not aligned with our biology. When we go to process those foods, those food type items, when we go to process them on a biochemical level, we create disease because they aren't foods that are meant for us, okay? I teach the same thing about sleep. 
We should be sleeping the way a human animal needs to sleep. We should be sleeping in alignment with the biology that our bodies exist in. Recognize that our bodies are meant and designed to perform in certain limits of biology. Can we fly only with a machine that's man-made? Because biologically, human beings are not meant or made to fly. We have to align with our biology. Sleep is one of these things. Food is certainly one of these things. But I think that in our society, we have the mindset, we'll sleep enough later. We'll sleep if it's convenient. Or God forbid in the thought, we'll sleep enough when we're dead. No, if you do not allow yourself enough sleep now, you will be dead a lot quicker and your body will get what it needs, right? So sleep is a biological mechanism, as a biological event, as a biological experience that all the human beings need and it's not negotiable. No more than our heartbeats negotiable, no more than our breathing is negotiable, no more than going to the bathroom and urinating is negotiable. These things have to happen to be a human being and if they're not happening, you're not gonna be a human being for very long. So. There are a lot of things that go into our blood sugars that have nothing to do with the food that we eat. Last week we went over stress, this week we're going over sleep because again, we have to learn to align with our biology and how our biology works, maximize that, optimize that in order to optimize our health. So the medical literature, there was an article I reviewed, it reviewed 83 human studies. And out of those 83 studies, 77 of them revealed a significant correlation between poor sleep and insulin resistance, prediabetes, diabetes, uncontrolled blood sugars, and obesity. 77 of 83 articles. What the medical literature points to is that metabolic disturbances, so our ability to manage glucose, our ability to manage all sorts of metabolic issues, are associated so disturbances in our metabolism are associated with sleep loss and sleep deprivation and it will lead to diabetes and obesity so the medical literature points to sleep impacting our body's ability to regulate glucose and appetite that is the importance of sleep if we're not taking care of our sleep we're not taking care of our glucose management and our appetite management so poor sleep leads to insulin insensitivity So that means that that leads to our cells' inability to recognize that insulin is there. We're insensitive to insulin. We're not sensitive to it. We're insensitive to it, meaning that like if we were insensitive to noise or we were insensitive to our children needing our help, we're not hearing the message that the child's telling us. We're not hearing the message that insulin is trying to tell our cells, which is to open up, bring glucose inside so that the cell can use it as energy. Poor sleep leads to the cell's inability to do that. Poor sleep also leads to increased ghrelin. Ghrelin is a hormone that makes you feel hungry. If you're not getting enough sleep, you have too much ghrelin in your system and you feel hungry inappropriately and more than you would if you were getting enough sleep. Poor sleep leads to a decrease in leptin. So leptin is a hormone that makes you feel full. It makes you feel satisfied. So not only are you not managing your energy and your glucose in your cells, but you're also making more of the hormone that makes you feel hungry and less of the hormone that makes you feel full. Lastly, there are multiple studies in the medical literature that correlate an increased consumption in poor quality foods when we are sleep deprived. 
When our sleep is inadequate, you are going to eat more high salt and highly refined and processed foods than you would if you got enough sleep. So this is the correlation of sleep and the food choices that we make and how type 2 diabetes and how type 2 diabetes is worse when we're not getting enough sleep. So let's talk about what normal sleep is. This is one of the things that I find with my clients that is most poorly understood. Most of us believe that we should fall asleep and be unconscious for eight hours and then wake up in the morning and feel amazing. That is what quote unquote normal sleep is. And what I want to offer to you is that is not normal sleep. And if you continue to look for it, you will always feel inadequate and like you're not getting quality sleep because that's not what normal sleep is. A normal sleep episode actually rotates you or passes you through five different sleep cycles. Each of those five sleep cycles is a 90-minute segment. So you have five 90-minute segments of sleep that make up a typical or a normal sleep period or sleep episode. And each of those five different 90-minute cycles, your body is doing things differently in each of those. So sleep cycle number one, the first 90 minutes of sleep, your body is doing one thing. The second 90 minutes of sleep, your body is doing something a little different. The third 90 minutes, you're doing a little different. The fourth 90 minutes is different. And the fifth 90 minutes is also different. You cannot get to the fifth sleep cycle until you've gone through the first four. So it's, it's building. It's not entirely. That's simplification. But recognize to get the highest quality sleep cycle five, you have to have gone through one, two, three, and four. So in sleep cycle one, two, and three, we actually spend more time in deep non-REM sleep. So this is the deep sleep that we need to fully restore ourselves. In addition to spending more time in that sleep, we're also releasing different hormones in those sleep cycles. Then we are in say sleep cycle four and five. In sleep cycle four and five, we're actually spending more time in REM sleep, which is where we're laying down memories and dealing with the things that have happened in our life. All of those things happen in REM sleep and it cannot happen in sleep cycle one, two, and three because we're not spending that much time in REM sleep. So this is why it's so imperative to give yourself adequate opportunity to sleep because the things that are happening are different in each of these sleep cycles. Also recognize most people will wake up somewhere around three to four hours into their sleep episode, into their sleep event. That's normal, nothing's gone wrong. You're a perfectly normal human being. And likely you're going to wake up again about two to three hours after that. You're normal. It's supposed to happen. And likely for the last bit of sleep, the last 90 minutes, you may think that you're awake in those 90 minutes because you're in this very light REM near awake cycle of sleep. It's normal. You're a normal human being. <laughs> Isn't that the best news ever? You no longer have to stress out about feeling like you're not getting enough sleep because you wake up every three hours. Yeah, we all do. We're supposed to. Yes, when we were younger, we may not have perceived those awakenings, but they happened. <laughs> they always happen because that's what happens for a human being when they're asleep. That's the biology of sleep. 
okay? So first things first, let's talk about what's normal with sleep. If not, you're always feeling like you're doing it inadequately, and why would we spend any time or invest any energy in getting quality sleep when I wake up every three hours and it's not good sleep? Well, no, waking up every three hours is totally normal sleep. That's what we're supposed to do. So continue to invest those resources into getting quality sleep. Recognize sleep gets worse. Our ability to drift off, and I am sure this has to do with stress. It has to do with more responsibilities and those sorts of things. But as we get older, our ability to sleep actually gets worse. I I don't like that term, worse per se, but it changes. And what that means is you must protect your sleep. Sleep must be protected because there's all sorts of things in our life that want to bite into that time. Cleaning the kitchen, cleaning out old closets that have old stuff in it you need to get rid of, taking care of a work project, taking care of a school project. All of these things start to bite into our sleep time. And God forbidden, Jimmy Kimmel, I love the guy, he's funny, but do not, there's nothing he is saying on his show that is more important than your sleep. Right? Because we know that sleep, inadequate or poor quality sleep, leads to all of these different risks for diseases. There's nothing Jimmy Kimmel has to say that you want to exchange those risks for. So most of the time, the reason that we're getting poor sleep really has to do with the decisions and habits and routines that we have in our life. Sometimes it is related to other disease processes. Sometimes we find that we are laying in bed and unable to fall asleep. And sometimes we find that poor sleep is related to things like obstructive sleep apnea, again, a disease process, right? Those disease processes need to be dealt with, recognize losing weight, optimizing your health. All of those things are gonna help all of those other diseases. I don't care which ones they are. Optimizing your health is gonna help all of those other diseases, at least improve them, if not resolve them entirely. But part of it is a routine, major parts of it is a routine issue. And the other thing to recognize is as human beings, we are going to have bad days of sleep. It doesn't mean that you're gonna die of something immediately. It just means that we need to do everything we can on those days that we can optimize our sleep to optimize our sleep. We need to do everything that we can to optimize our sleep on those days that we get good sleep. That's all it means. One night, two nights of poor sleep because our mind is racing, because we can't shut it down, whatever it is, that's not unusual for a human being. That's not unable to be absorbed by a healthy human body. But recognize that that means that the other days when we can get the maximum sleep, we can optimize our sleep, we really need to be protecting that time. So how much sleep should we be getting? The human animal needs somewhere between seven and nine hours of sleep. If you look at that 90 minute sleep cycle and you need five of them, that comes out to be about seven and a half hours of sleep. Recognize some humans cycle quicker, some humans cycle longer. So instead of a 90 minute cycle, it's a 95 minute cycle. Or instead of a 90 minute cycle, it's an 85 minute cycle. All of that's fine and well. But recognize you need to really plan for at least seven to nine hours of sleep, somewhere in that time frame. If you're getting less than seven hours of sleep, you're probably not giving yourself enough time to sleep. If you're getting more than about nine and a half hours of sleep, we know when we look at the literature that that's actually associated with the development of diabetes and other diseases. So more than about nine hours of sleep is probably too much unless you're catching up from something, which you really can't do. But sometimes we just need to give our body the grace and space to catch up on some sleep. Recognize biologically you can't go and ever recapture the sleep that you've missed. So it's not really catching up, but allowing your body to have that when it needs it is totally fine. 
So how do we improve the quality of our sleep? Sleep, researchers will tell you, consistency is king. That is the most important thing that you can do to improve your quality of sleep. Going to bed at the same time every day and getting up at the same time every day, whether it's the weekend, whether it's a work day, whether it's a holiday, consistency is king. They say that you can vary that within about 30 to 45 minutes, but outside of that, you should be going to bed within 30 to 45 minutes of the same time every day and getting up within 30 to 45 minutes of the same time every day. Other things you can do, cool spaces. Our core body temperatures as humans has to drop about 1.5 to 2 degrees Fahrenheit for us to drift into sleep. Cool spaces will help that. Dark spaces. Light on the bottom part of our eye will shut down melatonin production in our brain. So dimming all of our lights in the two hours prior to sleep and making sure that we're not getting exposed to light as we're getting ready for bed is really important to improving our sleep quality. I would say to avoid lights in the 60 to 90 minutes prior to bed. Now, what does that mean? I don't want you falling around your house in the dark. What we really have to do as humans is keep the light below our head so that there's not light shining on the bottom part of our eyes. That's where those melatonin producing cells are. If you think of your eye, it's a globe, it's a ball. You want to keep light from coming in the dark pupil and shining on the bottom of that ball. Okay, so keep your lights low in your room near the ground. So night lights are really helpful. Um, bedside table lights are really helpful. Keep the overhead lights off is really what it comes down to. Other things that can hinder your sleep, caffeine, alcohol, screen time. So recognize caffeine is gonna stay in your system for 20 to 24 hours. So is alcohol. And I know, but when I have a drink, I feel sleepy. I get it. But the way that your body metabolizes alcohol means that you will feel sleepy. You will feel that intoxicated state for about four hours, and then you will not be able to sleep. Alcohol actually shuts down your body's ability to drift into the REM sleep, which is that place where we're laying down memories and processing what's happened in the day. Alcohol prevents you from going into that. Caffeine prevents you from going into that. I would offer to you, <laughs> the literature says, meds like Ambien, and Xanax, benzodiazepines, these sleep aids prevent you from getting into REM sleep. Benadryl prevents you from getting into REM sleep. All of these things will make you feel sleepy, but it is not sleep that you get when you're under the effect of these meds. Same thing with anesthesia. You'll be unconscious, but you are not cycling through these five sleep cycles that you need to cycle through in order to allow the hormonal activation that happens in these different sleep cycles a different portfolio of hormones are released in each of these different sleep cycles. And it has to be released as part of the normal biology of the human being. And when we're taking these meds to initiate unconsciousness, recognize you are not initiating sleep. You will not cycle through these five cycles of sleep, what we call sleep architecture, in the way that you should, in the way that's natural for sleep. You will be unconscious, but it's not sleep. They're not the same. All of these meds, whether it be Ambien, again, Xanax or Ativan, I'm trying to think of what the, Valium, those are all these types of meds, benzodiazepines. They prevent you from going into REM. They prevent you from going through that sleep architecture in the normal way. Benadryl prevents you from doing it. 
anesthesia, propofol, which killed Michael Jackson, the, all of these meds, the reason why you have to take higher and higher and higher doses is because you're not actually creating sleep with them. You're just creating a state of unconsciousness, okay? Caffeine is an upper, will prevent you from getting into sleep for a variety of different reasons than these uh, depressants do, but recognize it stays in your system for about 20 to 24 hours. So you need to really cut that caffeine early in the day. Like if you're gonna have a cup of coffee, you really need to be done with it pretty early in the day. Alcohol is the same way. If you talk to sleep scientists, they're like, if you want a glass of wine, that's cool, but I'd have it earlier in the day than later in the day if you want to optimize and maximize, maximize your sleep. Again, these sleep aids are not really sleep aids. They are unconscious state aids. That's it. They do not cycle you through the normal sleep architecture that you need to go through in order to create the effects of true sleep. So avoiding those, avoiding screen time for the light reasons that we've talked about already. Those are the things that are going to hinder your quality of sleep. Other things that you can try. Blankets. So some sleep scientists will actually tell you that you probably need to have your own blanket. If you're sleeping with a bedmate, if you have a significant other or a spouse and you're sleeping with a bedmate, they need to have their blankets. You need to have your blankets. Not tugging on each other's blankets, making sure that your blanket is heavy enough to keep you at the temperature that you need to stay at in order to stay in sleep. And your bedmate has their ability to regulate that as well. Um, other things, weighted blankets. There's a lot of benefit in literature out there about weighted blankets helping you to get more quality sleep or higher quality sleep. Earplugs to avoid the snoring from your bedmate or the noise that your dogs are making. Those things can interrupt your sleep. Having earplugs to diminish the amount of interruptions you get. Having high quality pillows. Uh, using meditation prior to sleep to drop yourself, your consciousness down into a pre-sleep state so that you can drift off easily. Yoga for sleep, there is yoga for sleep out there. YouTube it, you'll find it. And then lastly, showers and baths. This is, I think, very, very clever. When you take a warm shower or a warm bath, it allows the vessels on your skin to dilate and release heat. The blood then returns to the core of your body and pulls heat from the core of your body that blood comes back out to the surface of your body and releases that heat. When we take a warm bath, it allows dilation of those surface vessels that allows this to happen. And remember, our core body temperature has to drop by about two degrees Fahrenheit in order for us to drift into sleep. So we want that to happen. So hot baths, hot showers are really good tools to get that first step done for us. So recognize there is a TED Talk out there by a well-renowned, well-published, um, and very popular or very um, famous, I guess, sleep scientist named Matt Walker. Find it on TED Talk. Find the first one. But he talks about, I think that that 20 minutes is a well-spent 20 minutes when you want to learn about sleep and what you need to do to optimize your sleep. But he talks about one hour and the importance of one hour we do an experiment on this every single year, twice a year actually, um, when we fall back in the fall from sleep and we gain an extra hour of sleep and then when we spring forward in the spring for daylight savings, okay? So what the studies show is that the diagnosis of myocardial infarction, so heart attacks, goes up 
and if I remember correctly, I wanna say it's like 22% or 23%, and the 24 hours after we lose an hour of sleep in the spring. So there are 20 some odd percent more heart attacks diagnosed in the United States in the 24 hours after we lose the hour of sleep in the spring, okay? That's how important one single hour of sleep is, and that's only looking at heart attacks. In the fall, conversely, when we gain an hour of sleep, the diagnosis of heart attacks goes down by like 18%. If I'm remembering, I'm not remembering these statistics exactly, but it's substantial. It is significantly, statistically significantly less heart attacks when we get an hour extra of sleep and significantly statistically more heart attacks when we lose an hour of sleep. One hour of sleep. That is the importance of one hour of sleep. That is the importance of your sleep. I hope what you hear from this is giving sleep the time that you need, giving sleep the resources that you need to cannot be overstated. Highly recommend you check out that TED Talk by Matt Walker. If you have any questions, do not hesitate to reach out to me, Delane at DelaneMD.com. If you are interested in my program, my six-month program for women with type 2 diabetes who want to reverse that, please reach out to me, Delane at DelaneMD.com. We'll get you set up for a consult and get you started on that. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to ask. I'd love to hear from you. I will be back next week. Bye-bye.